0: you bow with me in prayer father I thank you Lord for being so faithful I'm so thankful oh God that you have allowed my family to serve you oh God and Lord it's a joy thank you for such a bright future not only for the church here at Riverton your church but for the body of Christ I thank you for the days in which are ahead of us I'm excited for a great awakening that will not only shake a country to anything other than the love and the beauty of Christ. Father, will you use us and get everything you want out of us before we take our last breath? We count you worthy and faithful. Will you open the word of God to us today in a way that we can see and hear And then as as we worship today and understand, we must tell, Father, when you've made the difference in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's good to be here again. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, would you please open to the final book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. He is not the final. Amen. There goes the children. Amen. They'll learn songs and... He is not the final prophet of the Old Testament, John the Baptist was, but he is the final one to write in the Old Testament that you see here, Malachi, and I want to go to the very last verses of this book. We'll go to chapter 4 in the book of Malachi and begin reading in verse 5. Very short text, very powerful text. Chapter 4, verse 5 of Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Wow. There's a lot going on here. So we're going to unpack and break this down. These were the final words of a prophet before there would be 400 years of silence where God was concerned. On many fronts, as you read the Old Testament, you'll see prophet after prophet and messenger sent to the people of Israel and to the world to be the light of the world in a season that could cry back to God what was true regardless of the generation Regardless of what was going on in the country or in a nation or what their thoughts were, God is always able to preserve for Himself somebody that will praise Him. Somebody separated to Himself crying back to heaven. That's why the Bible clearly says, the verse everyone knows, if my people who are called by my name, amen, it's His people that does this. God's people. And He's always had people. He's always had somebody. And Elijah had to learn this the hard way. He got out, his ministry had got tough, hit himself under the juniper tree, said, I think I've had enough. It's time for me to die, Lord. What he didn't know is he's not even got started yet. Many times you think you're in the last rounds, I can assure you you're only in the first round. It's kind of like a boxing match. You go over to the corner and they sit down on a little stool, and you need somebody to get in front of you and wipe your face, put a little Vaseline on your eye, because see what you need is you need that anointing oil on the eyeball. When you get punched, you need it to slide off and not cut you. That's the difference. So when you come worship, we need God to touch us up in the corner with something that will cause us not to have friction among our brethren, but something that will oil us up enough that no one rubs us the wrong way and we can get in a posture before God to cry back to Him what is true of Him. So even in my own reasoning as a father, as I drive to church today, and, and I've been looking at natural things like, you know, a blue cross and blue shield goes up. And we've been talking about budget at the church, and I want to invite you, if you don't normally come on Sunday evenings, I want you to come this evening, like the next three evenings. We're dealing with budget stuff. Let's do it. But I'm doing it at home too. And Blue Cross sends a letter, I think I'd like to have more of your money. And I was feeling real good about it till it hit my home. You know what I mean? I can give you all the good advice. <laughs> okay, are you with me? And uh, as a father, you know, and a provider, and you just think about these things. But this morning on the way, i was just like, you know what? Man, something just hit me. I remember the day I was converted, I was born again with nothing. I had a little old truck payment, I worked in a bakery, no one taught me to tithe. All I knew was Jesus radically and totally changed me internally and it was making an external difference and I just remember like I'd actually get these little checks and I would set enough apart for gas and my payment and by the way I'm not preaching on finance we'll get I couldn't wait to get to church I put every last thing I had. Why? I I don't know. No one taught me other than I couldn't wait to do it. And the same God that provided I remember going to give my testimony in western Kansas and I had enough to get out there. I didn't have enough to get home. You ever know a new convert that doesn't have any sense? That's how God makes them, with no sense. Amen. Once we start thinking, we're in trouble. Yeah, and don't ever let someone walk. If you're a new convert, don't let someone walk up to you and say, I used to be that way. Otherwise, as my brother said, they need to get back to the altar this morning. Amen. But I'll tell you what, i would never forget. I was in the, walked to the back of the church. It was, we'd finished that Sunday, and as I got there to put my coat on, it was cold that fall, and I drove all that way. I didn't really care. I, just, I couldn't wait to tell my testimony that God had changed my life. And I remember an older gentleman stepped to the back. And he said, during service, the Lord wanted me to give this to you. And he handed me enough money. It was enough to fill my truck up and get me home. That may not look like walking on the water to you, but that was all I needed. Amen. God was all I needed. But me to move by faith and move where he needs me to be. And God, I mean, morning after morning, I still say it. Lord, I'll take care of your business if you'll take care of mine. I just want that childlike faith to keep taking care of God's house, take care of God's business. God will take care of mine. But there are moments when Blue Cross sends that envelope. I'm telling you right now, it's going it's to make you think, I've got this one, Lord. You know what I mean? And uh, it may not even fit your budget. Um, but anyway, how would I get a clear over on that? Amen. What's happening with Malachi here, is He's just ministered the final word before God would essentially shut heaven up for 400 years. Now, if you want to put that in context, can you imagine you and six generations after you having nothing fresh said to God to you from heaven? That's what's about to happen. When Malachi writes this writing, this is the last one to speak until you get the voice of one crying in the wilderness of Judea. In fact, I'll be preaching on that all next weekend at the Bicknell Center. So, amen, we get a prelude, amen. But the, the, literally shut it up. And now many times I've thought about this, the 400-year period. Can you imagine 400 years, no new prophets? What you had is what you're going to have to live on. And if you talk about traditions and the way we used to do it, can you imagine what this generation and the subsequent generations were talking about? Nothing new or fresh happening. 400 years. And he starts saying some interesting things like, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. And for your own uh, study's sake, if you want to go to the 11th chapter of the book of Matthew, you'll find out that Jesus actually said John the Baptist was Elijah. He was Elijah. This was who he spoke of. And he said, It's coming before a great and a dreadful day. Have you ever heard that? The great and dreadful day of the Lord. I mean it makes you think like, man, what is this? Is it great or dreadful? You know what I mean? Is it going to be good or not good? You know what I mean? It's a great and a dreadful day of the Lord? It's both. And it depends on where you're at in God. See, God can mark the point, set the plumb line, put the level on it, mark the day and the hour, but at the end of the day, it's only great or dreadful depending on which side you're on and what decisions we've made. Amen. I I like the, the context, and here he goes. He says, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. Interesting. Turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and he's going to turn the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And this is what I want to talk about today. Unless I, if if this doesn't happen, the earth is going to have such a curse. Now he didn't say, if your budget didn't work out, your house is going to be cursed. He didn't say, if you don't live in the right country, you know there's going to be a curse. There's going to be a real problem. But he said, I'm going to turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and I'm going to turn the heart of the children to the fathers. And this was the antidote This was the medicine for all the dryness. Can you imagine the dryness of 400 years of doing church the same way? 400 years? And yet he says what he can do to to actually not only precede this as a voice of one crying in the wilderness which has a spirit of Elijah. And can I make one note to you? If he's in the spirit of Elijah, the Bible says clearly in the 10th chapter that... John did no miracle. Not one miracle. John the Baptist did no miracles. He did no miracles. Yet he preceded Christ. He was the voice. He was the voice preparing the way of the Lord and did no miracles. Yet Apollos was born out of his baptism. Apollos was a bomb of a preacher. You bring Paul to town... No problem. But when Paul wrote you, he would stagger you. But if you bring Apollos to town, when he was done preaching, every atheist in town had been rubble. It was a real problem. But he was out of John's baptism. No miracles. But preach the way and the excellency and the truth of Christ. One clear voice. i got to watch out. I'll be over on what I'm going to... But the heart of the fathers turned to the children. I mean, what does this mean practically and essentially to me? I mean, I'm sitting here before Veterans Day. I see, I see boys turn to men within months. I mean, as I hear like the World War II vets, and we all surely love to study the history on how we just stopped the German war machine from moving across the world. I mean, boys were turned to men in days. Average age was 18 years old, but they come home to be a generation of selfless servants to society because they were absolutely committed to being fathers and protecting the homeland. They knew what it meant to protect their wife. They weren't confused about who the leader is in a country or in a church. They left and said, I will defend the homeland. I will defend my home. I will defend my children. In a very natural way, but God's getting to something here in the last writings of Malachi when He's saying, I want you fathers to turn yourself to your children. And it was war that grew these boys into men. It was trouble. And maybe you say today, it's not looking the way I want it to look. I don't even like what I see. It's been a real mess. But what's God saying in this thing? I preached on the belt of truth last week. Are you grabbing a hold of the Word of God to a degree where God could begin to shape fathers as men? Amen. Huh? Where we just pull the belt on tighter and say there's something to defend in God today and there's something to defend in my home. I want to turn my heart toward my children. Because we see a generation that is fatherless. After the 14 years of serving in the highway and byway, I observe one thing to be true, a denomination among all, that a fatherless child, male or female, would find some real difficulties in life. And I don't say that to say it to somebody who realizes in their life there has just been some horrific events and some real situations you wish never happened. I say this because it's true. And no matter where you are, God is still in the business of turning all of us into the men He wants us to be. He still, no matter what your situation, wants us to be fathers. He wants us to be fathers in our home so that it's a pattern on how to be a father in a church. And we become leaders here and then we become leaders in a country. And Christianity takes a back seat to Nothing or nobody. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody goes not only to the Father, but anywhere without Him. Amen. And so I would ask these these young men at times, I would say, you know, you you don't have a Father? And you could almost pick it out. They would begin to search out their own identity when they didn't have a Father's voice that was clear. And listen, your circumstance will not change your voice in your child's life. Listen, your circumstances, whether they be good or bad, in your opinion, will not change your voice. If you will put Christ Jesus and the Word of God under your feet, God will reconcile... I mean, it's like this when you went to my home grocery store when I was a kid and and he made the best smoked sausages and salami and... I mean, Weir's famous for Simone's IGA and everywhere you went, they knew about Simone's IGA. And I was great friends with uh, the Simone brothers who are also great fathers, great family, uh, so many early mornings. But I remember just standing back there at the case and, and someone would walk up and, and my friend would say, now what's your name? And he might say, John or What? what who's your dad? Who's your dad? and as soon as whoever said and i can remember him have a conversation after and he might say man i knew your dad and your grandpa and boy, the man, they were are some great men. Are you with me? This just paved the way for this young man's identity to just be brought to the forefront. And, and and the same is true when it's not there. And I don't want to beat on that a lot. But God is in the restoration business, no matter where you've been. I remember taking a friend of mine who had never spoken to one of his children that he'd ever seen. And she was just a little girl, and I think I've told this story here at the church, but, but long story short is, when we pulled in, I encouraged him to start praying, and God softened the heart of this situation, and we was able to go. And when we pulled in that day, this little girl had her friends, and they're yelling, your dad's here, your dad's here, your dad's here. And here she come, I'll never forget it, no matter how old I, I grow, and no matter how, how long I live. Here she comes with the little, like you won Miss America. You know, the little piece you put in her hair. And she was dressed beautifully. And, and he was Hispanic. So he had, not only he had cold black hair, this little girl had cold black hair. And it's curly. And she's a beautiful, like six years old. And she ran, I'll never forget it, ran off that porch to a father who thought she wanted nothing to do with him and embraced and, they, and I'll tell you, I couldn't talk. I'm choked up from top to bottom. But right here, God was restoring the, fa- the heart of the Father to the children and what a difference it can make when, when we have a clear voice even in a bad situation. A situation we're not sure how it got there, but I know today by the truth of the Word of God that the voice of a father is the voice that will help lead your children where they need to go. It is the strength to them. And when you improve and empower them, Them through the strength of telling them who they are, you empower them to do great things not only in this life, but if you'll stand on the Word of God in the middle of a mess and declare the Word of God to your children, it will empower them to do all God has for their life. And the response is that then the children turn to the fathers. And so we see Malachi say this. This is interesting. The 400 years of silence, he's about to bring the birth of Jesus, but before he would, he would dry it up. I mean, there'd be a season of 400 years where it just dried up. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know. I know it was dry here, but can you imagine what heaven was doing? For eternity, we're going to get a good picture and we'll be worshiping God. I don't know, but we're going to see it. And can you imagine the 365 24 hour days every year? They're getting ready for 400? 365 days, 24 hours a day, they don't sleep. Are you with me? And on the end, that last day, before. Are you with me? A birth of the Son of God out of a virgin doesn't make sense to humanity, but God promised it. He dried it all up. Malachi spoke it. And the greatest father is about to show us how to be a father with his own son. The greatest examples about to be set when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and the heavens open, he said, "This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased." And the, the thing that's taught me the most about being a father is learning how to be pleased with my children. See, God never did wait till Jesus healed the blind eye. He didn't wait till he walked on the water. He didn't wait for him to die on a cross. He didn't wait for him to raise the child of Darius. He didn't wait for him to respond to a beggar. He didn't wait for him to... Feed the 5,000. He didn't wait on him to go to the grave. He didn't wait on him on the road of Emmaus. He didn't wait for any of that to give an approval to his son before his son could be sent in ministry. He said, I want you to know you're my beloved and I'm well pleased with you. And how many times in a practical way do I stop to say to my children, I want you to know I love you and I am pleased with you regardless of what you do. You don't have to be a success in this life. You're a success to me because you're mine. Because God gave you to us, my wife. And are you with me? Kind of heavy. Everyone's thinking about their situation. God did it from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. If we could do one thing today, I would ask that on this Sunday, we would allow our own hearts to be challenged to be better Father's. And then I would challenge those who are here who are children. And maybe you have differences with your parents. I'm going to ask you to turn your heart toward your parents, toward your father. Maybe you say, you don't know what they've done to me. No, but God does. And if I'm going to be practical in this pulpit, if you want God to forgive you, you must forgive them. The reality of the gospel is that we really do it. We don't just talk about it. If we've got something against them, let's call them up when we leave this service. And then I'll give you an open mic to give your testimony next or the following Sunday. Wow, it's so cold quiet. Watch a restoration take place. If you have difference and you're able to reconcile, I want you to speak to that when you leave here today. I'm going to invite you to the altars in a little bit because you could say some things to God that nobody else has to know. But I hope the response is a fruit where you say today because of a simple message, not because charisma not because of intellect, but by the power of God and the Holy Ghost that raised Christ from the dead. I believe that what's being preached is true and I can't live the rest of my life this way. I'll not be in separation on any of these issues. If I'm a child in separation of my parents, I'm going to honor my father and my mother that my days are long on the earth. If I'm a father that's just been hard-headed and bitter and I'm not willing to reconcile, then I'm asking you to reconcile for God's sake in the faith of Jesus Christ, not for yours. I want you to crucify your affections and your flesh and your thoughts To cast down every vain imagination and thought that exalts itself above the knowledge and the truth that I preach to you today, that if the last thing God said before He'd bring John the Baptist on the scene and the birth of Jesus in a manger out of a young girl who was a virgin to bring Him on the scene was turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons as sons to the fathers, then I declare today, we'll never be a family, a church, or a country until Fathers are restored. Turn boys into men, God. and Do it in the time of trouble. If this is what it takes, I'll stand with you to do it. But we must be the men that God called us to be. It doesn't mean that the mother's voice is not sound. It doesn't mean it's not stable. It's just not the same. Mothers and fathers are completely different, and we must keep that clear in the generation in which we live. This is the standard. Everything else blows like the wind in countries and nations around the world today, but the Word of God does not move. Pastors are men. Fathers are men. Soldiers should be men. It doesn't mean there can't be helps around, but at the forefront, men. I know it's not popular, but I didn't come for a vote. I come to preach the Word of God. And God wants fathers turning toward their children and children to have the safety and the protection and the perseverance of fathers who stand on the Word of God. And there's no matter where you've been or what you think about this or how hard it's been or how successful, we can all come to one place at one point on the Word of God and just do this and help one another do it. And maybe you're not sure how and you need help. This is where the church begins to bear each other's burdens and maybe you say, it's too great for me, preacher. I'm going to spend time at the altar, but I need a friend to pray with and let God really change this season and change this time have you thought about how your voice would affect your children and other children that watch you in your neighborhood and those where you work and some are going to be drawn to you some of you may not have children right now as I preach this message and some are going to listen by way of podcasts and you just want to be the father God wanted you to be I'm asking you to stand on the word of God there's not a bank account in the world that can replace a father doing what he's made to do there's no success in this life that will replace us being the fathers God's asked us to be. There's nothing you can do you will but fall short outside of doing the will of God. And didn't come to be lofty today. Shouldn't ever come to be lofty. Do we persuade by emotion, or do we let the true truth of God persuade men and women? in the place of the heart where they're solid and changed. I'd rather see slow, steady, solid growth in the saints than I would something that could just move them before they were persuaded of the truth of God's Word. He said that if they didn't do this, it would smite the earth with a curse. And many times as I hear people go to the mall or otherwise, they'll make comments of how disrespectful they see a generation. But may I say to you, This generation will usher in, the believers of this generation will usher in the greatest awakening since 1892. And we are on the threshold of preparing the way once again for the Messiah's second return. I do not know the day or hour and the Bible's clear, but when I worship at the end of this, I worship with all intent and purpose of knowing that he is getting ready to come back. And the same as he was born in a virgin, there's a place he sits now and a time in God that only he knows where God is able to do this. And there's one thing he's going to ask when he returns. Will he find faith on the earth? Not faith in the religious systems of men. Not faith in the traditions or the dryness or the deadness. But will he find men and women who built their life on the faith of the Word of God by the resurrection of Jesus, knowing that a covenant was paid by blood and that he could raise you out of sin and out of pain. And maybe you're not where you hope you were but can God do it today in the midst of your mass can he take you to war and stop the devil's machinery from moving across your life and others lives and most of all your children's life I don't preach this today with intellect but with passion if I was anything before I die God make me a father if I can't be good at home I'm good nowhere And I know men today who have plenty of fruit. I know those who would look at me and say, what do I do with this? Nothing's turned out the way I thought. I'm just saying, don't give up your seat. Don't move over for the devil. Don't move over in the situation. Don't give up your seat as a father. No matter where, no matter where. The devil's tried to seat you. Your voice takes a back seat to nobody in the world. God gave you your children and nobody's an accident. Jeremiah is proof that God knows every child in the womb and he can give them a purpose in him. It's a challenge today. (laughs) It's true. We should sit on that like that for just a moment. But don't let anyone set you to the back. If anyone here feels they've done a good job of being a father, we must come to the front and humble ourselves. Because if we think we stand, beware lest we fall if any man here feels as though he's failed, you don't maybe communicate it to your neighbor, but I want you to come here to the altars. So whether we think we are a success or a failure, we all come together to a God who is able to make the difference. He said, I'm going to turn the heart of the fathers to the children. And I'm going to turn the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I smite the earth with a curse. And we see the curse of our day. Amen. Maybe you're a wife, a mother, and at the end of this message, you know that it's true. You know that you're a wife and a mother. And you simply cannot, and you're frustrated at times with why your voice is so distinctly different. And you're also frustrated that maybe you feel that your husband is not able to have the clarity you hoped for. 1 Peter is very clear. You can win him by your holy conversation, but it's going to need to start right here at the altar. It's going to need to start and you responding to him. And if you're facing a situation where you're not sure what to do and marriage is horrifying, it's tremendous, the battle's raging and there's division on every side, I'm asking you not to focus on each other, but to focus on God. You're going to have to keep Him first. We start focusing on each other and we get in real trouble, but we focus on the Lord and He makes all things right. He makes the impossible possible. With men, what's impossible, let's let God do it and make it possible so at the end of the day, we have a testimony that was God's and not our own. So no one could be here in the pew today and not have an opportunity And by way of podcast, I want to say if you hear this message and you're not attending anywhere, in no way is this podcast a replacement for you being a part of a body. And I hope that wherever you're listening to this, that you will, at the end of listening, get on your knees and never glorify preaching or otherwise, but glorify the God who brought truth to our life that can restore all things, whether you be a mother or a father or a child who simply will not forgive because of the bitterness and the hardness of your own heart. If we could, would you please stand to your feet? Could we we worship? And I'm going to open the altars, and I would like to ask for any to respond to God's Word saying, I believe and I feel the conviction in my life that I need to move towards this. I need to see Jesus said, All you who are heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you rest. And that's good on both sides. Whether we feel like we've done a good job or not so good of a job, the burden can still be there at times. We just want to lay that burden upon the Lord. One of the greatest testimonies to see God restore homes and lives. If you're holding unforgiveness toward a parent, I hope you'll find your way to the altar and respond to God. Let him get rid of the root of bitterness. You cannot have it and be a child of God. If you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. You say, well, they've went and they've died. I can't go tell them. No, but you can respond to God and make it right here today.